Well, good morning. I'm Brian Agavino, the lead pastor. Let's pray together. Awesome God, what we know not this morning, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine if you would back into the 300s, so that's a long time ago, Uh, imagine back living in the 300s, Rome was basically in charge of everything, the Roman Empire, and it was starting to become a mess. If it already wasn't a mess, it was starting to become a mess, and they were trying to figure out how to run things and do things, and Rome had different leaders, and at this point, one of the leaders uh, was Emperor Julian. And Emperor Julian, his mindset was, if we can just restore some of the pagan religions to what they were like, that will make Rome glorious again. And so he started doing all these things in Rome. He, he started building pagan temples, and then he, he started actually restoring pagan temples that maybe had been run down and putting all these great things into them to spruce them up. And in the midst of his plight to bring Rome back to what it once was, he voiced his frustration with Christians. And he had this letter that he wrote, I think to a friend, but it's a real letter that you can read. And he expressed his frustration at his seeming inability to stop the growth of Christianity in the world. And he has this famous quote that revealed something telling about the early church, and I wanted to read it to you. He wrote this. He, he, he's speaking sarcastically and negatively about Christians. So, so listen to what he says. He says, Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of these Christians as their charity or kindness to strangers. And then he says, The impious Galileans, so Christians, he derogatory towards Christians here, he's saying, The Christians provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. What is wrong with these people? And and you can see just this intense frustration amongst him. He's like, how are we going to be more like Christians? And actually in the letter he talks about maybe we should start hospitals like they're doing. It's a super interesting read. All that to say, let's acknowledge this morning that One of the reasons for the explosion of the Christian church after Jesus rose from the dead through the power of the Spirit in one of the darkest empires ever to exist in the history of humankind had a defining aspect that even the leaders of the Roman world noticed, and it was this. They were kind. I think many of you would agree with me that our world seems to be becoming more and more hostile and mean. Let's just call it for what it is. And some in the church are arguing that as our world gets more and more negative and more and more hostile towards Christians, that we should stand our ground. We need to fight. In fact, I read a really interesting article several weeks ago, it came out actually in May, from someone that I deeply respect and actually have quoted before, and he was drawing this idea, this concept that basically in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, the world was somewhat a neutral world, and now it's transitioned to more of a, a negative world, and because of that, if Christians are going to be heard, 
they need to get louder. And this was the premise of his article. And, and I, I get it. I get it. He, he had some value, valid arguments. Truth is important. But I wonder if volume is what creates a platform for listening. I've wrestled with this article. I've thought a lot about it. And I I felt like, just to be honest with you guys and transparent here, I felt like what he was saying was, the louder you are, the more you stick your ground, the better chance you're going to have of being heard. And in some ways, I felt like he was just encouraging us to debate things like the way we see things debated on cable news. And, right, and I was like, that doesn't work. (laughs) You know, we have this saying, right, that uh, speak the truth in love. Maybe you've heard it. It actually comes as a verse, Ephesians chapter 4. And, you know, I just wonder sometimes if it's more important for the person we're speaking the truth in love to know that we love them first before we are telling them what the truth really is. You know, studying the fruit of the Spirit has made me consider and wonder if what the church deeply needs now is not volume with our words, but volume with our kindness. One reason the church exploded in the first few hundred years after Christ died was that they were kind people. It defined them. They were sacrificial and generous to other Christians and to those who opposed them. And that kindness provided a platform for the world to want to know who is this Jesus. We're in a series called Fruition. We're asking God to help us cultivate a life where we're walking in the Spirit, and then what the Spirit does in us is He brings to fruition in us His fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It's a singular fruit. We've been using the concept of an orange that that. It's one fruit, and there are different aspects to it or slices to it, but what the Spirit is going to do is all of these aspects come forth when we're walking in the Spirit. And we're asking the Spirit to do a work in us where He will bear that singular fruit in our lives. And we've been looking at each aspect of that fruit, and today we come to the fruit of kindness. Our passage has been Galatians 5, and 23. Let me read it for you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, let me ask you, are you a kind person? What would happen if in our community... St. Charles County, the Summit Church was known for their kindness. Well, that's what I want to do this morning, is just unpack the idea of kindness. So let's start by defining kindness. Tell me if this has happened to you before, 
few years ago, my youngest daughter, Aubrey, she uh, was having a birthday party, and she has several love languages, but one of her love languages is Chick-fil-A. And so we had decided at this party that we were going to have Chick-fil-A for lunch. And, you know, so I was like, all right, we're going to do the Chick-fil-A thing. So I got online, I ordered the catering meal, and I ordered the tray of chicken nuggets for her meal. But not just the tray, right? You can get the 50-nugget tray, you can get the 100-nugget tray, but you can also get the 200-nugget tray, which they say feeds 25, but really only feeds like six hungry teenagers, right? Are you with me? Okay, so I order the $100 chicken nugget tray, and I go on her birthday before the party to go pick it up. I go through the drive through line, and I come up to the window, and I get to the window, and the lady, the lady there at the window says, your meal's been covered. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, yeah. There's a guy who's a you know, few cars ahead of you. He said, pay for the next four meals. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's a hundred. I mean, I think, I mean, let's get in the car with this guy just for a second, right? And he's thinking, I'm going to buy the next four meals, right? There's probably three teenagers lined up behind me, and they got the Chick-fil-A Deluxe and an 8 Pete's Nugget, and they got maybe a Frosty Smoothie. But no, Brian Agavino happened to pull up in line behind him, the fourth car, and what did he get? He got $100 worth of chicken nuggets. He didn't even know. He just said, charge it to my card. I drove away happy. <laughs> so, is that kindness? Yes, of course it's kindness. That is not meant to be a trick question. I'm not trying, there's not like some kind of, oh, it's not biblical kindness. No, that's being kind. He, bought, he spent $100 on chicken nuggets for me. Yes, of course that's being, let's not overthink what kindness is. Kindness is simple. It's, it really is. It, it, it's simple. And yes, I am going to push us, actually, and in a, I hope the Spirit is going to push us in a very convictional way on what kindness is. But at the same time, maybe this week it's just starting there for us as a people and a church and people who love Jesus. Like, what does it mean to just express a simple act of kindness? That word in Galatians 5, it translates very specifically to useful. Kindness is an act of usefulness. It represents a disposition we should have towards meeting the needs of others. And, and so to go back to the early church, right, they saw the needs of others and they were just kind to them by meeting their needs. So is buying Chick-fil-A kind? Absolutely. Is buying someone coffee kind? Yes, of course. Is helping someone across the street kindness? Is letting someone in on the highway who cheated the line to get ahead instead of merging earlier? Yes, that's all acts of kindness. But, but, is what caused Emperor Julian in 300 AD 
to wrestle and be frustrated is what caused the movement of the church that has impacted the world so much that you today are sitting in a church reflecting on Jesus Christ who is resurrected and coming again. It is, is kindness, the act of kindness that the Bible calls us to a simple burst of benevolence? Or is it more than that? It is the kindness that the Spirit wants to bear the fruit in our lives, the aspect of the fruit that he wants to bear in our lives, is it just a momentary debit of our energies and finances to credit us with an act of altruism? Or is it so much more than that? Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, where he's talking about sharing the truth in love, he actually commands the church he says, be kind, be kind to one another. And I wonder, did he have buying a coffee in mind or did he have so much more than that? And, and just, just to pause for a second here, I, I, let's remember that what we're talking about here is like, we should absolutely be doing those kind things, right? This buying $100 of Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets falls under the umbrella of kindness. I'm just arguing and pushing us today to ponder is that umbrella a lot bigger than what we think it is. It's so much more, I think, because of how God displayed his kindness to us. Have you ever stopped to think about God's kindness? It's interesting. I, I think it's, it's maybe a topic we don't often ponder. Sometimes we, we think about the Old Testament and we... We, we put God in these boxes, right? We think, okay, he was wrathful and doing these things in the Old Testament, and he sends Jesus in the New to deal with our sin. But I, but I think, actually, we, we lose sight of God has never changed. And yes, God is a just God, but in the same time, his loving kindness and his kindness is spoken of over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And, and that the Israelites and their understanding and picture and engagement with God was that they would say that he was kind. And my hope this morning is that gaining a deeper understanding of God's kindness will then give us a better picture of what kindness should look like and how the Spirit might move in and through us to bear fruit. There's a great passage in the book of Titus that helps tease out God's kindness and I want to spend the rest of our time this morning there just looking at this passage. And it's interesting, though, he starts by talking about who God is kind to. How would you, think about this just for a second, if you were to say who God is kind to, how would you describe that person? And, and here's the here's the thing I am going to trick you a little bit is think about who are you kind to? Who are you kind to? Well, Titus chapter 3 verse 3 it says this, this describes the people who God was kind to. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, 
and hating one another. That's who God's kind to. Foolish, disobedient, slaves to passions and pleasures, filling our days with evil and envy, hated by people and hating others. And the expression of God's kindness towards us is that he stepped towards us. Something I, I sometimes refer to as even though theology, even though I was wicked, God chose to show his kindness to me. Even though I was disobedient, even though I, I didn't want to listen, even though I was hateful and mean and unkind, even though all those things, God's kindness was to say, no, I'm, I'm going to move towards you. Titus says, even though we were the definition of unkind and mean, God was kind towards us. And now that kindness, that kindness is what the Spirit wants to display in you and me. So let's maybe redefine kindness this morning or broaden the umbrella of kindness. Well, let me read for you how now Titus describes the kindness of God. In verse 4, chapter 3, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works we had done, by, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's a lot of things we could pull out about God's kindness in here. And what we're going to do is, is look at God's kindness. And, and, and in the midst of that, as we gaze at the kindness of God, reflect on and think about how that very kindness is what the Spirit wants to bear the fruit of in our lives. And so I, I want to pull out three distinctives that I see in this passage. And the first comes from verse 5. He saved us, so God, his kindness is expressed by saving us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. And so what we see here is that God, he, when he looks at people, he, when he looks at his creation, the Imago Dei, he sees people with immeasurable value versus measurable value. Immeasurable value, so that there's value that can't be measured versus measurable value. So let me reflect on this for a second. I'm in the people business, and I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm not the best, but I am pretty good when I walk into a room of assessing the room. Some of you are like me in this. You, you walk into a room with people maybe you don't know, or maybe it's a lot of people in there, and you're able to look around, and, and what do we do? We measure people. Right? You guys nod a little, just give me the, okay, yes. Thank you for the three people over here that do that, right? We, we walk into the room and we, we make these quick assessments on people. I mean, it, it, in some, you know, it's, it's kind of a human thing. And we, and we know who's in the room and, and, and some of that actually can be a God thing, I would argue. But because we, in order for safety and things like that, at the same time, I think sometimes what happens then is, we then will take that and use it in a negative way 
and assess who we're going to be kind to and who we're not going to be kind to. Who's worthy of kindness and who's not worthy of kindness. And what we see here is that God, he saved us not because of our righteousness. That he looks at us and he, when, he, he, when he starts to measure us, you know what is measurable? It's not very measurable. But he's not looking at that. He looks at us and he sees immeasurable value in who we are. He offers kindness when we don't deserve it because he looks at us as creation, as precious and valuable. And I think if there's anything that should be evident in my kindness displayed through the power of the Spirit and ours as a church, it should be this, that when we see people, we see them as the creation of God and immeasurably valuable. Tim Keller, a pastor and writer in New York, he said this, when the Bible talks about kindness, it's referring to an attitude that sees human beings as so infinitely precious and valuable, there is really nothing you can put into them that's too much. At the first aspect of being kind people is to see people the way God saw us and then to see people the way God sees them, of immeasurable value. And what that means is that we'll express kindness to them the same way that God expressed kindness to us, is that there's nothing that we can do that is too kind. So what this means is when we see people suffering, hurting, struggling, when we see the poor, disenfranchised, the marginalized, the Spirit will remind us that we were in that place and God's kindness reached out to us. And he wants us to be conduits to the world of that same kindness. Second thing we see is in verse 6. So it helps with the flow of the passage to read it all. But verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And here's the second thing we see whom he poured out on us so richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the second aspect of kindness we learn from this passage is that to express kindness or to be kind means that there's a cost. And so we received God's kindness through the sacrifice of his son. Maybe the greatest cost that anyone could ever pay. That's how kind God was to us. Biblical kindness is sacrificial. Now, and I, now I think most of us get that. Like, even if we're buying someone a hundred dollars worth of chicken nuggets, right? There's a sacrifice in that at some level. And but what the what the Bible is calling us to in kindness here is a is a self-sacrifice that that we're giving of ourselves in in a way that is costly to us. It's not to protect us. Not self-preservation. It's not so we're okay, we're going to do what's comfortable for us, but we're going to do what's going to cost us something. And God's kindness was displayed to us through his son. So I asked you guys, you know, have you ever had that happen where someone's bought you, know, bought you a meal or something like that before? And as I've been reflecting on kindness, I, I realized something about myself is that mostly the way I like to think about kindness is wanting people to be kind to me. 
Thank you guys for shaking your heads on that. I appreciate that. So I will confess to you, right? So what happens usually in the Chick-fil-A line when someone buys your meal? They pay it forward. Thank you. Not your pastor. Still love me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, because I like people being kind to me, right? It's easy to be like, hmm, man, that was kind. Thank you. And we start to feel like we're deserving of kindness. I mean, with, I, I, so can I challenge you with me this week to watch for when you have an opportunity for kindness and when you try to talk yourself out of it? Because we want to preserve and not sacrifice. There's a great story that Jesus tells. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it really reflects this. That God, he, in his kindness, went to the greatest extent possible to help us who could offer nothing in return. Even more than that, who were his enemies. And I think in order for us to live under this umbrella of biblical kindness that we're called to, we, we have to have, you know, this mindset change. See God's kindness and how beautiful and wonderful it is to us because that's, that's really what will move us to kindness. Martin Luther King Jr., he was doing a sermon on the Good Samaritan, and he said this. It's really good. He said, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And so the Samaritan was kind. And that's, that's biblical kindness, isn't it? That God looked at us and he said, what will happen if I don't love them? If I don't give myself for them? And there's one more thing I see here in verse 7. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The third aspect of kindness we learn from this passage is not that God sees us with immeasurable value and not that he was self-sacrificing, but that that self-sacrifice was generous beyond compare. That it's almost generous, is, the word is almost too small to describe what God had, had done. And his generosity was so giving to us that he didn't just give us something, he actually made us an heir. And, and heir is kind of a weird language. We don't often think about that. So, so do you guys know the play Annie? You guys know the movie Annie? They had, there was an old one and then there's a new one for, you know, we got both generations here. And it's, it's a perfect picture of air, right? So Annie's living the hard knock life. She's in an orphanage at the Warbucks mansion. Or she's in an orphanage with a spiteful, alcoholic caretaker. And, and then what happens? Daddy Warbucks 
brings her in, and she now has everything that he has. She, she became his heir. She goes from no possessions to a fortune that's beyond what she can count. And, and the hard knock life is overcome by the brightness of a sunny tomorrow, right? That, that's, I, I like that line. I, I, I... Now, it's a little bit funny, but seen from a Christian perspective, Annie pictures what being a co-heir with Christ means. That, that you and I were the one who was robbed on the side of the road in the story of the Good Samaritan. That we had nothing. That, and, and that we were evil and we were unkind and we were mean. And we, th- there were all these things about us. And what God does is through the self-sacrifices of his son, he now takes us and he says... I'm going to bring you and I'm going to give you an inheritance and a place. I'm going to call you my son and my daughter. I'm going to bring you into my presence and give you so much beyond that. If you just spent a few moments even considering it, even years considering it, even hundreds of years considering it, you could never even imagine how glorious it is what I want to do and bless you with. And so we see... God's kindness is exceptionally generous versus selfish. C.S. Lewis, he's pondering God's kindness and how generous Christians ought to be. And he said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as ours, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, or I should say they pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. That's what the kindness of God looked like towards us. That God saw us in immeasurable value, gave of himself this self-sacrifice, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit giving of themselves so that we might become and were then generously given this position of being an heir. And and God says, reflect on my kindness. but, But don't just reflect on it. Experience it. Taste it. That that's what God's kindness looks towards like us, that, that he, this, is, this is how he views you, and, and this is what he's done for you, and this is what he's given you. And, and, and may our hearts not just think that's neat, but may our hearts be moved by that. Because the Spirit wants to bear the fruit of that kindness in us. So let me ask you again, (laughs) are you kind? Are you kind? Let's let's remember that the, the kindness that God wants to lead us to is the kindness of response. 
You know, it's easy to spend time talking about how we should be more kind and feel guilty and, and shamed into kindness. And God's posture is not to do that, but rather God's posture is to help us taste of true kindness and then be a conduit of that kindness to others. You know, on YouTube, there's all these great videos about kindness. They're probably all fake, but, you know, they, they, they still make me cry. <laughs> because kindness, it, it moves us. I mean, some guy spent $100 on me at Chick-fil-A, and I'm driving away, like, moved by that. Here I am, six years later, telling you the story about a guy who spent $100 on me. Church, might we this morning be so moved by the kindness of God towards us? Recognizing that even though we were unkind and unworthy and mean and his enemies and hateful, he went to the greatest extent to show me and to show you his kindness by seeing our value, sacrificing of himself, and giving generously so that we could not calculate how much we had been given. And might we, being moved by our Father, cultivate a heart that would walk in the Spirit and display a taste of that kindness that each of us had experienced to each other and to the world. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your kindness to us. May we truly taste of your kindness, even right now in this moment, Father. For those who are struggling and feel unworthy, may we experience the reality that you came <laughs> towards us. For those of us who are feeling shamed about not being more kind, remind us that you didn't save us because of our righteous deeds. Father, for our world, may in this tiny corner of our world, in O'Fallon and St. Peter's and St. Charles and Wentzville and Lake St. Louis and New Melly, uh, as we scatter today, might we, your people, be a conduit of the kindness that we've experienced from you to others. I pray that in Jesus' name.